It's so good to be before you. My name is Alfonso Mack. So I am a church plant, I'm a pastoral resident of a new church plant in Royal Oak, Michigan called Rooted Church. So my co-planter, Ronnie Goble, has actually been here before and preached before you all. And I want to just say something just real quick and just say thank you so much to this entire church. You guys are actually helping us church plant in, in Royal Oak. And so we are very, very grateful that you decided to, to come alongside us for the partnership for the gospel. That is something that we feel very delighted in and honored to be, be a part of, that churches like you would say, yeah, we would love to pray for you, we'd love to give to allow you to, to spread the gospel somewhere else. Um, and I think that's just a reflection of what God has just been doing all throughout the centuries, is using uh, amazing churches to come alongside others in order for the gospel to continue. And so I'm very, very uh, thankful for that. If you would like to, to know a little bit more about the church plant at all, Noel gave me free reign to tell you guys I'll, I can share more about it. If you're like, hey, maybe guys want to do something and I want to move to Royal Local, we'd love to chat with you. Or if you just want to know more, come up to me after service and I can share a little bit more about that. Um, before we dive into God's Word, I just want to share a little bit about myself so you kind of know who's, who's before you. So I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and um, when I grew up there, I ended up going to Bowling Green, Ohio, and when I moved to Bowling Green, Ohio for college, that was where my eyes got enlightened to the beauty of the gospel. I was a part of a church called H.O. Church. It was a collegiate ministry there. Um, and during my time there, um, I played football while I was there, and it was amazing. God did a whole lot of cool stuff. And then during my time, I either was thinking I'm going to go into to ministry at this point, or I'm going to go pursue my dream and play, play in the NFL. Um, by the grace of God, I got a chance to pursue my dream. And as I was in the middle of pursuing it, I felt this, this deep calling from God to say, no, I want you to leave it all behind and follow my call into pastoral ministry. And I'm just like, okay, sure, I'll give it all up. And so God did that in my life. And so in 2017, I went on staff at Ace Church. I got married to my wife, uh, Catherine, in 2018. And then we have a two-year-old son named Isaiah. Love him. He's awesome. And then I'm expecting a baby girl in April. And so got a whole lot going on. I just moved. Yeah, you can clap for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then I just actually moved to Michigan about a month ago. And then, yeah, I know a whole lot. I'm not even from here, but it's been great so far. I, feel, I have felt welcome. I have felt welcome. Um, but uh, God gave us this, this calling of saying, hey, I want you to trust me in the unknown. I'm like, okay, so we'll do that. We'll, we'll get up, and I've uprooted my family, and it's been great to, to be in Michigan. Now, as we, I get ready to transition to talking about this series that you guys have been, been in uh, called Cruciformed. And you've been exploring, like, what does it look like to be formed and shaped into the image of Jesus? Well, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, this text will help us to understand how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus form us into people who can have joy and victory in Christ, no matter our circumstances. And so what I've titled this, this, this sermon is The Sweet Smell of Victory. The Sweet Smell of Victory. So this passage started to hit home for me in many ways as I started to study over the last week or couple of weeks. And I started to have to ask myself, what does it look like for people to be successful? What, is it, what does it mean to be a winner? See, winning is something that most of us in this room may process our lives through, even if it's not consciously. A lot of us think of like, how can I be successful? How can I be a winner? Some of that can be seen in how we live, how we, what, the things that we pursue. And I think one of the things that's kind of crazy is no one actually wants to be a loser. Am I right? Nobody wants to be a loser. I bet if we did a poll, I bet if we did a poll in here right now, 
and said, would you rather be a winner or a loser? I doubt anyone would raise their hand and say, sign me up for the losing squad. <laughs> right? Not one person in here would even go that direction. We all want to be winners. And it's like, well, because winning feels good. Winning gives us something to boast about. It gives us something to be proud of. Winning is, attract- is attractive. It's uplifting. Right? You know who fits this description perfectly? Your beloved Detroit Lions. Right? <laughs> Think about it. The Lions for so long was very, very bad. Where it's like, they stink. No one will say, I'm proud to be a Lions fan because we're losers. We have some of the worst records and just losing seasons for a long time. And then as soon as winning started to happen, it started to change the entire state and in the city of Detroit. Something different started to happen where people were proud to be a part of the great state of Michigan. You see, winning and losing is an interesting phenomenon. And it's embedded deep into our society. No one wants to be seen defeated or losing. It doesn't seem honorable or glorious. It doesn't show strength at all. We want to succeed at everything that we do. And in some ways, we are really obsessed with it. Whether it means that we're thinking about our work performance so we can go and get that raise, or it's like, man, how much money I make, or maybe how I look physically makes me feel like I am a winner. Maybe, man, my marriage looks amazing, so I feel like a winner. I have amazing kids. I feel like a winner. Or maybe, maybe if you're, if you're a high school or young kid, it's like, oh, man, I have all these friends. Or, hey, I'm, I'm working hard to get this scholarship. That makes me feel like I'm a winner if I were to get it. See, that all reveals personal success. But one of the things I also think about is that we love marveling at those who are winning and successful. We love it, especially as Christians. We love great preachers. We love amazing communicators. We love to to see and hear the success stories of men and women who came from the bottom and made it and built empires. We love all those things. And what begins to happen in our heart very subtly for every single person in this room, myself included, is that if someone doesn't fit this mold of what we think is successful or winning, if they don't seem to have it all together, we may think that that person's weak or that they are a loser. This This may be what we assume. You see, you can get the picture of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. You see, he was a man that we read today and we say, man, I would love to follow Jesus like that man. But even when you read the scriptures and even his letters, especially in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, we see that that wasn't how people always viewed him or what his life even looked like. Think of it this way. He to the Corinthians was someone who didn't look the part in his physical appearance. He also wasn't the greatest communicator. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He seemed to always be suffering and going through hardship, but yet they're looking at the super apostles and say they got it all together. So this is kind of embarrassing that he's always going through something. To some people in his church, he might have seemed underwhelming and not really qualified to be their leader. Just look at the battles that he had to face with them. He talks about that at the end of the, the verses that we'll be in today. And on the outside, Paul's life could have seemed like a loser to some people. But in all of this, we will see in the life of Paul that despite facing hardship, setback, and even being considered weak, the sweet victory that he has in Jesus was the strength that he had to keep going to proclaim the gospel and even loving on this church in Corinth. And that's where in this section, these beautiful words, but thanks be to God, thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And so my, my, my big idea for today is this is that Christ's victory over sin and death makes us winners. Christ's victory over sin and death 
makes us winners. And so the question I want us to ponder in all of this is, does the way that we live in the face of difficulty and weakness reflect the sweet aroma of the gospel? Does the way that we live in the face of difficulty and weakness reflect the sweet aroma of the gospel? So what does it look like for us to win in Christ? That's what we're going to explore in this passage. And so what I've done is split it up into two ways, how Christ wins and how we win. Okay, so with that, let's, let's open up God's word to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And one of the, I know we already read it earlier, but one of the things I love doing is standing for God's word. So if you could please stand with me just real quick for God's word. I'm going to read this, one of my favorite things to do. My church did this all the time growing up. Growing up grew up in a small little black church, and it was great. So I would love to read God's word with you all this morning. This is what it says in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, I love this. Getting our call and response. Ooh, I feel like I'm at home. This is great. This is great. So, so to start off, this is, I just want to give a little bit of understanding of what was kind of going on in backstory. So Paul, he has this moment where he's talking about, hey, I was sent by God to go to Troas, and there God opened up a door for me to literally talk to people about the beautiful gospel of Jesus. And during his time in Troas, he says, I was expected to go meet up with Titus, whom you may or may not know if you hadn't been really uh, paying attention Titus was sent by Paul to Corinth to go and check on the Corinthians, okay? And this, was, this was happened post a painful letter that Paul had sent them. And what that painful letter did was kind of stir up a little bit of unrest in the hearts of the people there. And so Paul, being eager to want to hear about how this church is doing, he's expected to go and meet Titus. He plans to meet with him. But once he gets to Troas, he does not find Titus there. And he became saddened. One, because he didn't get to hang out and meet with his dear brother. But two, because he was sitting there just waiting like, I want to know how they are doing. I love them so much. Because I want to know how this church responded to my previous letter. So Paul, despite seeing God's hand open up doors to proclaim the gospel, and it seemed seemed like he was winning, he was facing this heartache. Like, God was doing great things. But yeah, he's saying, "I I didn't have much rest in my soul. And so we've probably had moments like this in our lives where God is doing some amazing things around us and maybe even through us. But then there are those times where even though that might be going on, a little bit of relational strife, a little bit of hardship in some other areas makes our souls feel a little bit uneasy. See, Paul was going through this in Troas, which eventually led him to leave. So I can't take this no more. I need to leave. And so he goes to Macedonia. Chapter 7 actually picks up on what actually happened in Macedonia and uh, what happened when he actually met back up with Titus. You guys will get to that later. It's it's uh, a great thing to read. But then he transitions to verse 14. And he starts it by saying, but thanks be to God. And the question is like, why would this be the thing that he's saying right after he just left Macedonia? He's telling them about it. 
Well, Paul, in the face of his unrest and all the struggles that came with leading this church in Corinth, it put him in his place where he seemed like he was weak, but yet he was able to reframe all of his hardship and all of the unrest. He's like, I need to focus on Jesus. Man, ain't that a good word for us today? There's a lot of us in this room right now going through a whole lot of hardship, relational issues, and maybe for some people, you might even be facing opposition in your faith. You might feel a little bit weak. People might look at you and think that you're a little bit weak, and in some ways, you may feel discouraged. But Paul gives us a word here that is so sweet to the ears that says, but thanks be to God. This reminds me of the times where we're in my church back home, we'd be praying for someone who's struggling but then we would just, we just bust out in a praise break. This is kind of what happens here. He's like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I need to go and praise God because Jesus is the only one that's going to keep me going. See, this is Paul's formula for winning. In your weakness and in your frailty, look to Jesus. In him we triumph. You want a heart of gratitude in your trouble and in your loss, look to Jesus the victor. You see, when Paul talks about thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's possession, he is talking about this thing that, that was recorded a little bit over 300 times in Roman tradition, where what would happen is the, the triumphal procession was a parade. It was as we won this battle. And so now we are going back to our city to go and celebrate with everyone that is there with feasting and partying and burning of incense. But at the same time, the thing that was really at the heart of this was, yeah, we want to show that we are victorious, but the prized possession and the ultimate celebration was when that Roman general could feel proud about himself because right behind him, in shackles, were some of the people that they had conquered. With this imagery, Paul is communicating that Jesus is the victor in whom conquered his soul. And so Paul is a part of this procession of a glorification of Jesus, winning over sin and death. This is something that Paul himself knew a little bit way too well. Because he was the one that was rebellious, an enemy of God, killing God's people. But yet he got blinded on a road to Damascus by the spirit of God, and he meets Jesus for himself. And now he is a slave and a servant of King Jesus. And this victory of Christ over his soul is the ultimate picture of Christ's power because Jesus is the ultimate winner. You see, Jesus himself, he defeated sin and death and Satan by taking on the sin of humanity, by being beaten, mocked. Scorn, crucified on that cross, absorbing the wrath of God that every last one of us deserved because of our sin. We are owed it. And all the while, he defeated Satan by saying, I have the final verdict. I am the judge. You can accuse these people all you want, but their debt has been paid for. I already took on the penalty, and his resurrection from the dead is the thing that seals this victory for us. So Jesus is saying, I am king, I am victorious, and now in Christ, nothing or no one can separate us from the Lord our God. Nothing can bring a charge against us in the court of law. Romans 8, I love this, it's so good. It says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who, guess what, died but even more has been raised victorious. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. You see, Jesus, he has power over all of it. And his victory in conquering is worth us rejoicing over, just as we see Paul doing here right now. Jesus is victorious. And it's amazing 
Because didn't it look like Jesus was a loser, though? <laughs> right? Think about it. He came as a humble man, born as a baby in a dirty old manger. Right? He, he, he came with this appearance that Isaiah 53 speaks of that wasn't actually that attractive where people wanted to be around him. He rode in on a small donkey, and then he died this humiliating death, crucified by two criminals, but yet he was a king. And he proved, he reigns by overcoming all of it. And now in him, we are victorious. See, that's Paul's excitement. But even more, Paul is saying, I am his now. I am the one he has conquered. I am the prized possession of, of the one who defeated me. And I get to be a part of this procession, this excitement that is happening. I love this because God could have killed Paul off just like he could have done all of us. The, listen, the Roman general could have done what? Killed off everybody and just gone to his city to celebrate. But yet we see that the soul is captured. Paul's soul was captured by Jesus, and he says, now you're mine, and guess what you get to do? You get to partake. <laughs> Even though you didn't deserve it, you get to partake in this celebration. You get to partake in this joy. You get to have this mercy. This is the grace of God being lived out. And Paul and us now are part of Christ's victory as servants and slaves of him by God's grace. You see how deep this actually goes. It makes sense why Paul would even bust out and praise. He's so thankful, and we should be, because God doesn't treat us as how a woman would act, uh, 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 how a human would treat a captured slave. Think about how, how people have been treated in slavery. God don't treat us like that when He captures our soul. We get, a, get to be a part of this winning team. It's like, imagine you go and capture someone who's the enemy, but yet you treat them with love. This is what we have as sons and daughters in the king. This should lead us to understanding how God uses our weakness and our setbacks and our suffering and losses to be a part of his victory parade. But what happens is we got to come to the end of ourselves, though. The path forward to win is to lose our lives to Jesus. See, he says... He who loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. So here's the reality. We must, every single day, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, allow him to capture our hearts. We must submit our lives to Jesus. We must lay, our, lay down our rebellion, our pride, our self-sufficiency, and allow the love of God through the person of Jesus to lead us. See, our sin and our flesh want to lead us and ruin our lives. But God fought for you on that cross. And all you have to do is surrender, throwing up your hands like a soldier who's been captured in war and who lost the battle. But know that this path to winning is going to seem weak, and it is weak. But this is where, where we get to find true life. And when you do, you'll be like Paul who knows that his suffering and his hardship with this church isn't the end for him. Like he has real hope. He has real hope. And so all of this helps us see what victory actually looks like. And that's why when you go through, the, through, through the, the next verse, the part of that verse, verse 14, the second half, he says, through us, God is spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So think about this procession, this triumphal procession. There's this, this excitement, this burning of incense. People are excited. And then it's spreading everywhere. 
Think about to the lions, right? It's spread to the whole state. Probably people all over the country, it's spreading. And Paul's like, I get, he, he's using me. God's using me to spread this aroma everywhere. And so Paul helps us see next what winning in Christ looks like. So in verse 15, he says, listen, for God, we are, for to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life who is adequate for these things. And so what does winning in Christ look like? It looks like two things. We win by being the aroma of Christ, which is smelling like Jesus and how we live. But then we also win by speaking the word of Christ with sincerity, which is just speaking like Jesus. And so looking at how we win, this work that God does is in us is producing something that is triumphal in Jesus, the smell of something glorious. And this is God's doing. This is how he wants to use us for his glory and his mission. You see, Paul, he says, through us, he is spreading, meaning we are giving off something sweet of Christ's victory over sin, death, and our lives. And he uses us to spread his name and his word all across the world and into the lives of people you meet. But the interesting is in it, as he's talking about, he uses smell as an analogy. Like, why would he go and start talking about an aroma? An aroma He's saying, like, listen, we spread the aromas of knowledge of him so that to God we are a fragrance to Christ, to those who are being saved, and to those who are perishing. See, he's taking a look back at the Old Testament and all the sacrifices that, used, that we used to read, that you can go and read, that talks about this pleasing aroma was to God. He's talking about sacrificing your life smells good to God, is delightful to God. You can go see it in Genesis 8 with Noah building the ark. You can see it in Leviticus 1, 13, and and Numbers 15, verse 3. There's so many places where we see these moments of people offering sacrifice, and the aroma, the smell of the animal being there is pleasing to God. And so Paul uses this to help us see that our lives being offered to Jesus is a pleasing aroma, meaning how you walk and how you live in Christ can please the Lord our God. And check this out, and in verse 15, He says, it's a fragrance also to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Meaning the way that you live has an effect on your church family and non-Christians. See, I I, I think that we really need to be thinking about that. I think also, too, Paul, uh, this is why I love God's word so much. Paul helps us understand this even more in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He brings us to life. He says, I urge you to do what? Present your bodies. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord your God is your true worship. I think I might have wrote the verse wrong down on the thing, but that's what, I, that's what I want to share. But then he tells him, he says, look, though, but I want you to see right after that, he shares that with him. And then he gives him this long list of what does a life lived out that is pleasing to God looks like. So in Romans 12, what you'll see, he says something in, I think, verse 10, he says to outdo one another in showing honor. He says to go and serve one another. He says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's all in one chapter where he's talking about your life literally being this sacrifice to God. And so all these things and more please God and it communicates something to the people that we encounter every single day. But living like Christ is either going to be an aroma of death leading to death or an aroma of life leading to life. And he makes that clear distinction there. You notice he didn't give no in-between. Paul's like, I'm not giving y'all no wiggle room for the people that want to do that. <laughs> you know, there's people who want to, who I can stand in the middle. It's like, no, well, well, why? 
Well, I think Romans 6.23 lets us know that because sin deserves death. Right? God's word makes that clear. For the wages of sin is death. But guess what the amazing part of that next verse, the part of that verse is, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so people are, when they meet us, are either receiving the gospel and being led, into, led to Christ or the opposite. See, living like Jesus is going to be sweet to some people. It's going to be encouraging to the people around you. It's going to uplift you. People might meet you, and they might be curious about Jesus because of the love that you have. They might want to know a little bit more about him because of the way that you live your life. I had countless stories that had happened to me in college when I was just living like Jesus. I was like, dude, why aren't you drinking right now? I like, dude, I, I'm trying to honor God with my life. That don't make any sense, bro, but I'm interested in that. That, that used to happen often. But then the, the, another thing that happens to us based on how we live and what we see in this verse it also means to some that our faith in Jesus is going to be repulsive. We got to remember that the gospel is attractive and it's offensive. And the way that we live will either compel people to Jesus or repel people from Jesus. Like it's like the smell of a strong perfume. Some people love strong perfumes and some people like that smells gross. It it's, it's actually is a good smell, but some people don't like it. I'm one of those people. If I'm in the same room with my wife, when she sprays on perfume, I get upset. It's too strong. <laughs> it smells good, but it's too strong. I need to get out of the room. It hurts my nose. But if you catch me outside, though, and you ain't sprayed them, I'm like, oh, that smells great. That's kind of how I am. Like, th- this is what our lives is like. This means that death for some can see li- us living like Jesus and think we're losers. They may even make fun of us for our faith. Or it could be even when we share the gospel. The death death of Jesus and the cross might seem like foolishness to them. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 1.18. See, death might even look like people loving their sins so much that they will look at the way you live and say sexual integrity and holiness smell like death. They might say financial generosity, kindness, gentleness, the forgiveness of the part. Ooh, forgiveness is a good one. They might say that that looks like death. I can never, ever go and forgive, but guess how much Jesus has forgiven you? That might look like death to those people. Loving your enemies can look like death. Self-service of others, laying down your life, can smell like you are a loser. Like, why do you go and serve your wife or your husband or your kids so much? What are they doing? They're not benefiting you. This can seem like you are losing, but the way of living that is in Christ is an aroma that displays the beauty of the gospel. I love this quote that I came across during my time of study that helps put this in two categories. It says, to those who are on the road to destruction, the gospel is like a noxious, a noxious fume that relentlessly carries the unwary to their death. To those on the road to salvation, it is comparable to a compelling fragrance that invigorates, <laughs> I love that word, all who come in contact with it. And so we must ask ourselves, Is our life a delightful aroma of Jesus that makes others desire Jesus or even make people hate us because of our love for Jesus? And what I want to do just real fast is just get real just real quick. This is for every single person in the room, young and old. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you will more than likely have an experience one time or another where people are going to see your life And they're either going to be curious and intrigued by why you live the way you do, and it may be attractive, or the opposite might happen. 
People may look at your life and think you are lame, think you are a loser. They might think that you're just plain old weird. That Jesus freak person over there. They actually uphold to what the Bible says. Like people might look at you and and hate you because of it. That might happen to you. And if you're an adult, someone may scoff at you. Make snarky comments at work about your faith. It might be hostile towards Jesus. And the thing that could be real tempting when we all face this, no matter who we are, is to want to hide our light. I know that myself. It may be tempting to want to water down the gospel. But listen, myself and everyone included, we must not be afraid of our faith in Jesus. What we have in Christ is victory. No matter what we face. We can receive persecution for our faith. Jesus warned us about that in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. But here's the thing. But what we get in the end, Jesus promises, is eternal life. That outweighs any kind of suffering that we might face here. Doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare, which he talks about in a couple chapters in in this same book. It doesn't even compare. Jesus is worth it, y'all. He really, really is worth it. Because if he wasn't worth it, Why would an innocent man want to go and die for sinful humanity? And if he isn't worth it, then why are we here? This preaching would be pointless. Our worship would be pointless. Our praying with one another would be pointless. Why would we uphold biblical values if it's lame and Jesus isn't worth it? He has to be worth it. And so what we have to do is take Uh, this as a privilege that we are on a winning team. This is a badge of honor. It's something that we can be thankful for in the gospel as we let it rule our hearts, knowing that we did not deserve it. We don't deserve to be honored with Christ, to represent him. And I think Paul knew that so well. That's why in verse 16 he says, who is adequate for these things? Absolutely nobody. No one is worthy enough to, to, to be with Jesus And to be honored, to honor him. But also what he is saying in that is no one has enough power to actually lead to life and death. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So this is a good thing for us to remember. Because we can be confident in Christ. Even when we face persecution or hardship for our faith. Because of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So if somebody's offended because you living like Jesus, guess who they're offended by? <laughs> Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's like, who's adequate for that? He's like, I'm, I, he's like, I'm no, I'm not. That's why he says in, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, it's not that we are, are, are competent in ourselves <laughs> to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our, guess, I love this. Y'all going to preach on this next week too. But he says, our adequacy is from God. He said, I'm I'm not adequate to be the one to really be leading people to life and death, but I know Jesus, the one that I met, he's able to do it because he did it for me. That's what Paul is talking about here. Jesus has the power to do that. So we must know that our job isn't to manage how people perceive us. Our job isn't to manage how people perceive us, but to sincerely follow Jesus and sincerely share Jesus with the humble passion to see others come to Christ, which leads to the second way of how we win. The second way we win in Christ is by speaking and sharing Jesus. 
Verse 17, he says, for we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ. You notice he says we. He didn't just say I. He says we as from God and before God. So what Paul is saying is, listen, I don't have to use the word of God for profit. I'm not just trying to sell you something for my own personal gain. He said, we are sincere. We deeply care about your soul. This is about love, not selfishness. This verse is correcting the issues that he faced with those people and who were trying to use the church for gain, the super apostles, the people who were trying to look flashy and manipulate the people into liking them, the ones who were diminishing Paul's name. See, see, these people were trying to diminish his name so much that he's having a feud with the church because they believe in them. And he's like, no, I sincerely love y'all. He's like, my speech is with that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm speaking as sincerely in Christ. He said, that's the other side of the aroma. It's not, not just how I live. I've showed you that and how I lived, but also how I speak with you. It should smell like Jesus. So I came sincerely speaking about Jesus, not trying to market God's word. He said, I'm not trying to do it by myself. It's like, why? Because here's why. Because marketing, in some ways, okay, not always, but in some ways, is a managing public perception and trying to manipulate people towards what you're offering. And this can be done for personal gain. But Paul says, that wasn't my motivation for y'all. He said, listen, man, I'm just humbly trying to live for Jesus. He said, I'm not even worthy in myself to be used by God. He said, I'm coming to you humble, and I'm speaking that way. I just genuinely want to share Christ and his love on you. See, this speaks volumes in a world today where so many people are speaking about Jesus and trying to market him for personal gain. They're lying on who Jesus is, what the word of God says. And in some ways, the gospel, as these people are preaching, false gospels can even smell like a city dunk. It's like, I don't want to be around it. This is what you can see. Some people don't want nothing to do with Jesus because of all the false stuff. But Paul is saying, listen, I'm just trying to get things straight by reminding you. I just really want you to know God. I'm going to speak to you in a sincere manner. He's like, I genuinely care. And guess what that means? I'm not going to water down this gospel either. I'm going to speak this gospel as if I've seen the truth of it. I'm going to speak this gospel despite what these other guys might think of me. They might look at me as a loser, but I'm going to speak this out of love because I've experienced a deep love that's transformed my life. And this should be our heart posture as followers of Jesus, as the aroma of Christ, the splayers of his victory. So as the band comes up, what I want to just share is that we must speak the truth of the gospel in a sincere and loving way. Don't hide the light. Paul's like, I'm not, I don't want to do that here. Not changing it or watering it down. And this is sweet because it doesn't matter how people will respond to us. All we must do is remain faithful. Remain faithful to Jesus. And guess what that is? That's winning. And in in Christ, you are secure for all of eternity. So we can be secure in Jesus. So let us live like Christ, share the gospel like Christ, rejoice in this mission as we are being led in Christ's triumphal procession. Let us, let us just have joy in that. Let that be the thing that's on the forefront of our minds as we go about our week. And let what Christ did for us on that cross be our triumph in the face of suffering, 
hardship, struggle, or even persecution. Jesus is enough. Let us pray. Jesus, your word is sufficient. You are sufficient. Thank you so much. As we get to read your word, and we just get to hear of the deep love that you have for us. But thanks be to you that even when we go through hard stuff and people might view us a certain way, when we feel unrest in our souls, we can sit here and be thanks be to God for Christ's triumphal procession. Thank you for being the one who captured our souls. I pray that you would lead us into deeper intimacy with you. I pray for the person that doesn't know you that they will come to a place of surrender, laying everything down. I pray that we would all lay everything at your feet knowing you are so worth it. You are worth it. Allow your word to come alive to us. Continue to speak to us and lead us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.